morning, it's found in the back of the bulletin, which I'll read to you from Mark 16, 9 through 20. Now when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And, they shall, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this portion of your word. Sadly, a portion that much of the modern church has excluded from the scriptures as being authentically inspired by you. Oh, Lord, may you be honored in your word being applied by your Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. The King is coming! It's still January 2022. The world has been hit with a pandemic and with a significant increase in the loss of human life. And I won't get into all the reasons behind that. But nevertheless, it is what it is. And Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. In those 40 days, from the time he rose from the dead to his ascension back to his heavenly throne, King Jesus was about, to, was about preparing his disciples for their mission. They would be tasked with carrying out his work by carrying the gospel of salvation to the ends of the earth. When our work is done, then our king will return, as he noted in his prophecy in Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Have we reached that point? in time where the gospel is accessible or is made, as it says here, a witness in all of the nations of the world. The king is coming. There are three ways that this passage teaches that King Jesus comes to us. He comes first into hearts with saving faith. 
And when he comes into our lives, he calls us to serve him. And then lastly, one day he will come again to crown us, to reward us. Our reward is with him. He comes into hearts with saving faith. Hearts that are in darkness everywhere, such as the disciples that were in hiding in Jerusalem at the time of his crucifixion and his resurrection. As it says in 9 through 11 that, that I will reread. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned the wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, and had been seen <coughs> of her by her whom Hearts are in darkness also on the road to Emmaus. In verse 12, after, they, after that he appeared in another form unto two of them, two of his disciples, as they walked and went into the country. But also in Emmaus, the township itself, in verse 13, and they went and told it unto the residue, the rest. Neither believed they them. And when Jesus himself went back to Jerusalem in that personal appearance to all of the eleven, it says in verse 14, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and Jesus himself upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Oh my. Because they believed not, which had seen him after he was risen. Like that Proverbial, seeing is believing, right? Isn't that very common with unbelievers? In John 20, 29, King Jesus says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou, thou hast believed, you're blessed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And that will be, of course, the rest of the church or the people of God that will be saved from that point on. We must be given eyes to see Jesus. Like King Jesus finally gave to his disciples when in Luke 24, which is the corollary passage to Mark, the passage that we're considering in Mark, it says in verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. That was the key. You might say he, he was the key. The Holy Spirit to the understanding of the scriptures, to the understanding of prophecies pertaining to the coming of Christ and to his mission and to the purpose for which he came, that is to save his people from their sins. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And it goes on in verse 46 to 48. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This is all in the scriptures. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Eyewitnesses of that. Then and only then, when the Lord opens your eyes, see Jesus for who he is, King of kings and Lord of lords. Will you see? And so, 
when we go to people and they don't believe, we should not be surprised. In fact, we should be concurring with what Scripture says. And that is that men are in darkness, and they hate the light, and they, and they don't want the light to come near them, lest the light of the gospel should shine unto them and open their eyes to their sin. Isaiah, the Lord opened Isaiah's eyes. It says in verse 1, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because, my, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen a king. Lord of hosts. This has to be your experience and my experience to be able to see the King as he really is in all his glory. Secondly, when he comes into our lives, he calls us to serve him. Notice in our passage in Mark verse 16. And we're preaching from a dubious passage right now that the church has, for the most part, abandoned. And God is all wise and mysterious providence has caused us to consider this morning. It says in verse 15, Go ye. Go ye is a command. We are saved to serve. It is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And therefore, here's our king, King Jesus. It is not a suggestion or even a recommendation for the church to vote on. We are not to debate it in consistory or debate it in our annual congregational meeting which just passed. Or debated in Western classes this March, or debated in RCSM this coming May. It is a call to action. And the Lord, the King, is the one who is commanding us. And King Jesus said in verse 15, What? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's also a lifestyle in the Greek. And it says, go ye, if you study it, it is as you go. And what I take from that, one of the things I take from that is this, that, that as we go along life's narrow way, living our lives, we are serving the Lord. We are walking with the King and being a blessing to others as we go. Use the words of our Lord, let your light so shine before men that they may See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Just the other day at Costco, I, I do go to Costco. I don't have a car when I go there. I go to my wife. And I'm thankful I went there this time because I told a Christian lady that was offering uh, samples, you know how they have samples there, uh, sparkling ice. I had just bought some sparkling ice and I didn't want to take one, but she, she, she said, take one. And then I began to talk to her. She was without any samplers besides me. And I said to her at the end of that, let your light so shine before men, sister. And 
she just smiled. She was so encouraged. I'm glad that I could do that. In Philippians 2.27, the Apostle Paul says, when I do this, that means you should do it too. And just don't hear everything I say because I could be wrong. I could even misquote a scripture and you won't know it unless you have it memorized. And so in Philippians 1.27, notice that it is a lifestyle. Only let your conversation, that's lifestyle, your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, <coughs> let it be the way you live. Let, let witnessing be a part of your everyday life, just like prayer and the word should be a part of your everyday life as a Christian. Like our faithful on fire Baptist brethren, and I love them for this reason especially, because they're out there pounding the streets. They're out there in the highways and byways with the gospel. Hands down, no one, no one, no one beats them. We back up the story of salvation by our changed lives. But how will they know that they're changed? And after they, and of course those that know us, how will they know unless they hear? Because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now on the other hand, a bad testimony may be a stumbling block to the kingdom. So we want not to do that, but, but perhaps by our being proactive, that might help us also, because I, I'm amazed how when I talk to people and I don't have the answer, I have to humble myself and say, I don't know, let me go and check, or Google it, you know? Maybe forcing myself to witness will cause me to begin to think about my life and how, or how it's not backing up my words. And that is a perk, I think, I believe. When people see a difference, they know that something good has happened in your life. They know, for example, that you're Christian by your love. And there's no love out there in this loveless world that we are in. Heidelberg Catechism question 87 asks the question, why must we do good works? And giving the gospel ranks up there, doesn't it? Amongst good works, does it not? Answer, that he be glorified to us. And also, that we ourselves may be assured by our faith, by the fruits thereof, and by our godly life with others also to Christ. Actually, by our godly walk. Same difference with also others to Christ. So back then they were witnessing and they were believing in the merit of having a life to back up their lips, works to back up their words. And that's how we set our affection on things above, by setting our affection on eternal souls that are all around us, teeming, millions that are untold. Untold millions, yet untold, as the saying goes. Start them early, meaning serving Christ. Our Lord Jesus was, was 12 years old, according to Luke, 
242, and he's our example, is he not? And so I thought about this. Huh. Where does it talk about uh, uh, Christ as a young person? Well, this is it. And it's the only one that I know of. Luke 2. And when he was 12 years old, now you don't have to be 12 years old, you could be 11, you could be 10, okay? So in case any of you are, are, are below that, and, it's, and of course, if any of you are above that, this could be you or an example for you. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. That meant he, he hung around Jerusalem and didn't go with them back home. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to, be, to have been in the company, went a day's journey. So they found out that he was not with them. And they saw him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, when you forget something, you want to go back, right, and, and, and retrieve it, especially if it's your son. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him. Imagine three days. Three days. And they didn't have cell phones and, it was, you know, phone booths. Sitting in the midst of doc, the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. All that heard him were astonished at his understanding and and when they saw him, they were amazed, meaning his parents. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. We thought you were, who knows, dead. And he said unto them, How is it that you saw me? Wist or know ye not that I must be about my father's Start them early. And we have we have that uh, by by means of example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Young or old, you can learn the gospel, and you can also learn to give it. It's not that hard. Also, we are heralds for the King. Back at our passage in Mark 16. Our key verse there, which as you probably have figured it out, is verse 15, Mark 16, 15. It says, go ye into all the world, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach here is the Greek word for proclaim or herald. We are to herald. We are heralds of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Otherwise known in another place by the Apostle Paul as ambassadors. So let's look that up in 2 Corinthians 5.20 this time. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. There you go. As though God did beseech you by us in the Corinthian 
believers, the Corinthian church members, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. Now, there were unbelievers there. Probably that's what he was referring to. He was preaching to a mixed audience. Maybe this was at a time when there was a fusion of new faces there, and he believed it was important that the gospel be proclaimed. But lest you think that this is only for the church, I should say the church's ordained officers, such as ministers and even elders and deacons, or sent missionaries like the Apostle Paul was to the Gentiles, it is not. Read verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's referring to him and the believers of the church of Corinth when he says us. How that we have been reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And have been given, that is we, you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. I.e., we are all ambassadors. And not just those who are specially trained and ordained to go out with the gospel. I don't hold the same position as Dabney, for example, Southern Presbyterian theologian who believed that only the ordained can preach in the open air because after all, they're representing the church and, and if they make a mistake, then it's, it's a mark on the church. Oh, fooey on that. No. The first preachers of the Gospels were deacons. Now, granted, they were deacons, but they were only deacons a short time. And there were others as well, as we will note in our passage. So, let us take the message of our king into the world. He will empower us. He will enable us. And you shall have power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And he will confirm his witness in you and through you. The early church was given Confirming gifts, as we read in verses 17 and 18 of, of Mark 16. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And I believe that those are known languages. The word there is, is, is what tells me that. And not angelic tongues, as many in the in certain quarters of the visible church today believe that they're speaking some heavenly language. Because even the angels spoke in English. Well, Greek and Hebrew, and then later uh, other languages. Not English. Take it back. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall in Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, it gives a commentary on what that is all about. I'm trying to keep it simple. So in Hebrews 2, it says, 
verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, the eyewitnesses, and their disciples? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will, his own will. Meaning to say that God allowed even the apostles and some of their disciples, not all, to have these miraculous gifts in order to confirm that they were in fact sent spokesmen, that they would in fact be giving the inspired word and no other, and not ever since either, such as the Roman Catholic Church that, that purport that they uh, take their authority from Peter for their papacy. That's not true. And others as well that believe that, that they are inspired authors and the light of Holy Scripture. Let me say that it is not always in God's redemptive plan and his redemptive history to perform signs and miracles and wonders like Jesus did. Or even before him, Moses and Elijah and Elisha. There were very few. And they were usually right before something big was about to happen, like the coming of the Lord, which is the biggest of them all. And yet in John 14, 12, King Jesus says, Greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. Greatest miracle of them all has to be a saved sinner. It has to be that sinner that is witnessing to the saving grace of God that has come to him in Christ. The one who has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what I believe. That those signs that are talked about at the end of Mark are all about. I mean, granted, Initially, there were other things that people get dazzled by, right? The, 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 the fireworks and, and, and all of that, uh, of, of miracles and signs and wonders. But, but after that all fades away, that we are back to business as usual, our ordinary Christian lives, as it were. And that's been the rest of history up to the present. Verse 20, it says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs of And I believe that is fruit of the gospel, which are eternal souls that are one to Christ. And then lastly, one day, he will come again to crown us. Imagine that. To crown us. Like what we sang, we, well, we will get crowns. We do are his. Different size crowns. But anyway, we're going to take them and we're going to throw them at his feet and say, no, Lord, to you be all the glory. Right? Is that what it says? King Jesus reigns at God the Father's right hand. Then, as of verse 19, the very present, as it reads, so then, after the Lord has spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And there he sits, waiting gloriously. And he's not up there idly. Not at all. He's not sitting up there doing nothing 
as some monarchs are known to do. Just looking pretty, just window dressing, as it were, for the world. No, until sin and Satan and the world are made his footstools. For it says in Hebrews 10, 12, and 13. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. And that hasn't happened yet, has it? As far as we're concerned, anyway. And so in the meantime, he carries on the work for which he came and lived and died and rose again, which is one of confirming his word in the hearts and lives of his people again and again and again through every generation until the last time when he will return. He confirmed it in the days of the apostles, as we have already noted. He confirms it throughout church history. He has preserved his remnant throughout the world to this present day. And though bonds and afflictions and opposition and persecution <coughs> became the first fruits of our fellow laborers in history past, it was never in vain. It says in Hebrews 11 how they were stoned, sawn asunder, they were tempted, tested, slain with a sword, wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. It says in parentheses, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These are our forefathers. These are our brethren beloved in the Lord. And yet he is confirming his word through them as he is confirming his word in the persecuted church in China today and in the Soviet Union and in other lands, even in the Middle Eastern countries, as I'm learning through Murph. In this present day, his elect are being gathered from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other, as Christ would say. Because he said before his departure, other sheep I have, which I must bring, and also will hear my voice and there will be one fold in my shepherd. And King Jesus is working in his workers. And though we don't do miracles and signs and wonders as the apostles and some of their disciples did, as I've said, and though the greatest miracle of all, which is the immediate conversion of souls, was not often given to Christ's labors to see for themselves see as the immediate fruit of their labors. Nevertheless, the last day will manifest that King Jesus was always working with those who are working for him. Read with me 2 Timothy 4, 8. Second Timothy 4, 8. The Apostle Paul speaks of his receiving, his going to receive a crown of righteousness. But in his saying that, notice who else will be a recipient of the same. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also 
that love is appearing. So there is something that we all may look forward to in our service for Christ. Now, judging by King Jesus' standard, the visible church doesn't appear to be cutting the mustard, if you know what I mean. Because did he not tell us to go into all the world? And he wasn't talking again about just those who are trained missionaries and the like, but to all of us. And did they not all go with the gospel? But not only the evangelical church at large, but in my humble estimation, if I may say, the Reformed Church is not doing that much better in this department of evangelism and outreach either. Now, they're great at supporting missions out there. Even missionaries sent to their church, and that's good. And we don't want to diminish the importance of that. But we're talking here about something very specific. And I would report uh, or propose this, and that could part of the problem of why this isn't happening be this, that Mark 16, 9 through 20, has essentially been cut out of the Holy Bible. In the back there, I was looking at the New International Version, NIV, and also today's English Version, and they did the very thing that I did teaching in the Sunday school class on the providentially preserved text. And here's a booklet that talks about those last verses in Mark 16. If you're interested, you may borrow it. I copies. And why would they do such a thing? Those who do this advocate that Mark 16, 9 through 20 is not in the oldest manuscripts. You remember that, right? And therefore is not considered part of the inspired word of God. Because what's oldest has to be authentic and not what is more recent. And those who happen to allow Mark 16, 9 through 20 to remain in the Bible have essentially pulled all the teeth out of this passage. Because they argue that though this passage is not in the oldest manuscripts, Aleph and B, essentially two of thousands of manuscripts, even complete manuscripts, some, and therefore is not the inspired word of God, that the same truth they argue is taught in other places in the gospel, therefore we can use this. Well, my contention is this. Either Mark 16, 19, 20 is the word of God, or it is not. And if it is not, we don't make that the passage, the pericope, that is to be preached in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. End of discussion. And I believe that the devil is behind this in his attempts to hogtie the feet of the church so that God's people don't go with the gospel. You remember Scripture, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so 
What happens is that the gospel is never brought to the lost by the multitude of professing Christians. Because, not just because of our natural innate lethargy, but because we don't have the benefit of Mark 16.15, which speaks directly to each and every one of us. And like Matthew, which can be argued, can be argued that, that those are the officers of the church, i.e. the ministers, who have the ability of baptizing and of bringing to membership those who are converted by the gospel. And I think that I'm going to stop with that, although I have a little bit more, but I will say this. You have beautiful feet when you prepare your feet with the gospel of peace. And thankfully, hopefully, you have benefited from years of sound doctrine. Your feet are beautiful and they're obedient in keeping up with Christ who went about everywhere doing good, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You are compassionate as he was moved with compassion in them that were sheep without a shepherd. And finally, you are being Christ-like. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 21, for even during two weeks called, this Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And so the king is coming. He's coming to check on his work. Is coming to reward accordingly. And so are you prepared? Notice I said, are you preparing? And are you helping others to prepare also? One more scripture in Daniel 12, 3. Daniel 12, verse 3. Two and, three. and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Our God and Father, we are thankful for your word, even for this portion of your inspired word that we have just studied. Thank, thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, who bears witness with the word, and who teaches and imparts your truth, who enlightens our hearts and our minds, who quickens our wills and our steps, who is our resident teacher, but also is the one by whose power we are made witnesses of our risen and glorious King. And so, Lord, work, I pray, in this congregation of yours.